Hello, and welcome to today's Renwick Centre podcast. My name is Trudy Smith, and I am the Manager of Continuing Professional Education at the RIDBC Renwick Centre. Really looking forward to today's conversation with David Eckstein. David, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself for our audience? Oh, yes, thank you, and thanks for having me. Um, so I work at um, Swinburne University. Uh, this year I'm Equity Fellow with the National Centre for Student Equity and Higher Education is a government initiative that's run from Curtin University. I'm researching the choices that universities make to provide targeted career support for students with disability at university uh, and the factors that enable those decisions and the, the barriers that can get in the way of, of people making decisions to provide that very important support. As a career counsellor, what kind of questions do the students bring to your discussions? I've been working in higher education for uh, almost 10 years as a careers counsellor uh, and with students with disability for much of that time and the questions that students bring are, are quite varied but they they fall into two categories and typically uh, students will ask a question like you know, what should I be doing with the rest of my life um, or uh, they'll say what can I do with this degree so that's one set of, of questions that, that student ask, students ask, and they ask those in, in different ways. Uh, and essentially, I see that as a students asking for direction and for asking for where they can be accepted in the world of work. That students ask are a little deeper and a little more insightful. And uh, this group of students, which tends to be much smaller, is more interested in what they can do with their learning um, in terms of what kind of contribution they would like to make and how they can progress plans to make that sort of contribution. So they're less interested in being given a list of things that they should consider and they're more interested in having articulated the kind of contribution they'd like to make, how they can get there and what sorts of things they can do to demonstrate to an employer that they would be a useful addition to their team because their own professional sense of purpose aligns with an organisation's mission or, or purpose or need to, to serve a, a group of clients or work with a particular team. Sure. Sounds like a, a big responsibility to be part of these discussions with a student. I'm wondering, is there a model of career development that you follow to, to guide your work? Look, there's several. Um, the overarching model that I find most useful is one called systems theory that... Um, the, the two Australian researchers, Wendy Patton and Mary McMahon, who are both in Queensland, have been instrumental, uh, along with people like Peter McElveen, in, um, in developing and, and disseminating. And it helps a great deal because it doesn't tie you to one particular model. But what, it, what I find that it does do is that it helps you engage with where the client is at, at the given moment that, that you meet with them. And so the... The conversation that we have with clients tends to be about unearthing their, the model of systems theory applies systems thinking to engagement with a client. So the, the, the meeting with the client is about understanding how that person sees the world, how they want to fit themselves into it, um, particularly in terms of the, the sort of contribution they would like their work to amount to, what they would like their work to mean, in fact. And I guess somebody with a with a lived experience of disability it really makes them an expert, doesn't it, in 
in, in, in accommodations and, and what might be possible. Indeed, look, and that, that's, uh, that's a very important comment, thank you, because careers counselling that is um, underpinned by current career development learning theory is about exactly that. It's, it's, it's about enabling the client. It's about acknowledging that the only person who is expert in the client's circumstances is, is that person. So whether you're dealing with somebody who you know, is, is visually impaired, that person is, is expert in their experience of that. And it shuts down the conversation if they receive messages from you about how that feels uh, and what they should do about it. So it's very important to resist the, the invitations that many people bring to careers consultations to play expert in their lives. And they do so for understandable reasons, but it's something that we need to assiduously avoid. Absolutely. And so how do you help those students overcome maybe the concept of imposed disability or workplace barriers? It's usually about finding ways to, to help the student set those concerns to one side. You know, we acknowledge them and, and we validate those concerns, but then the conversation needs to focus on what the student would like to do, what they would like their contribution to, to, to amount to, excuse me, what they would like their work to mean. And then it becomes a, a liberating conversation where the, the student is able to think uh, about what they would ideally like to be able to do. And instead of thinking that they have to achieve all of that in, in one hit, it becomes a, a motivating plan to help them achieve different elements of their desired work. Sure. And do the students bring, come to you with, with concerns about how people are going to perceive their strengths and weaknesses or what their contribution might be to oh, the organisation? Yeah. Oh, yes, indeed. Well, look, typically the students with disability that, that we've worked with in the, the Accessibility Careers Hub at Swinburne University tend to know what they want to do and they tend to understand what their strengths are. But they're used to having those things denied and uh, they're used to being told that they can't do particular things or they should aim in, in particular directions. You know, a, a common uh, experience for, for neurodiverse students or students that live uh, with autism spectrum are uh, typically told that they should be going to study IT because they're very good at coding. <laughs> and, um, you know, whereas we know that there are many students on the spectrum who aren't remotely interested in coding, but are more interested in the arts of some kind and having permission to do what or having permission to think about uh, a career that actually interests them is one of the most liberating things and it's typically it's that realization that is so energizing for the client because they feel just that that they've been given permission to do what they're interested in instead of what they have been told the world will allow them to do Sure. It's, it sounds like some, your role is actually incredibly important in terms of as you, that, that, that phrase that you use, giving them permission to, to dream and, and follow their own dreams rather than the stereotype that they're told as a result of their disability. It must be a, um, a lovely, you must have some lovely conversations with the clients when they realise that they, they have permission to choose. Uh, yeah, it, it, well, it, it's a very... Uh... You know, energizing work and it's um, you know, it's something I'm very enthusiastic about but it's a real privilege because people share you know, very private concerns and 
but it amounts to, to, the, to the students giving themselves permission to think in this way. And that's typically what creates this um, sense of students experiencing relief or um, excitement because they finally feel that, uh, that they're being validated. That's the only way I can think of, that I can think of putting it. Um, so for people who have uh, typically experienced, um, in some cases, many years or a lifetime of being told what they can and can't do, the notion that they can do what they want not because we have some sort of rosy-eyed view of the world and, um, and not that you know, people are being led to believe that they can do whatever they like uh, or that they have that sort of entitlement. It's not about that at all. The, the conversations that we have with students are, are very much reality-based ones uh, and they're grounded in evidence. And the evidence usually lies within their engagement with their course or in some cases where, where students have work experience, th there is evidence there too in terms of feedback from the... Uh, from the workplace that they're engaging with and it's it amounts to students simply taking a slightly different view or reorientating their view of themselves just a little yeah because they are responding to to evidence in the form of of, of marks they get of feedback they get uh, from from tutors from students from from lecturers but also from the world of work and that's a very liberating thing for people to suddenly realise that this isn't just something that would be a nice idea um, and is, is something that's never going to happen because it's, it, it's just a dream and no one's going to give me a chance. Actually, I'm already on this pathway and it's simply a matter of refashioning the way in which people understand themselves. And it's, um, it's a process called, um, called narrative careers counselling where people are actually in, encouraged to compare their sense of themselves with what they are actually doing. And usually we find that there's, there's some degree of incongruence there and that students could better understand the way in which they do things. They could better align um, th their sense of themselves with what they actually do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, it, it's, it sounds fascinating. We, I think most of us would love to be a fly on the wall and, and listen to those conversations. And the, the as, as you say, but you're not, you're not taking things that aren't real. You're looking at what's real, what they're doing, what they're delivering and how the world's responding to that and helping them to see it in a, in a more positive frame and, and to, to see that it's not an, a dream anymore. It's a, you're already doing this. It is a reality. And so now you can take it further in terms of a career. Well, indeed, yeah, and a, and a phrase I'm fond of using is that, or an expression I'm fond of using is that the students learn to see themselves as emerging professionals. So that, you know, it, and that is a liberating expression because it, it means that people still have things to learn, you know, as we all do when we're at work. And for people that are um, entering the, the world of work, it's very common to think that they can't afford to make mistakes or that they, uh, they can't admit that they have things to learn. <clears throat> Excuse me, but, but when students understand that the purpose of university is to, to help them reach a place where they can learn to do things somebody else's way is, is a great way of, of entering the workforce. So they don't have to, to have every question answered or, or every corner covered. And that's the case for every job seeker. It's just that I think students with disability feel this much more acutely because the, the messages that they have to live with are, um, are much less subtle in some ways, are much more persistent 
um, and um, and inherently disabling, if I could put it like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I we spoke at the end of last year to a, a young woman who has cerebral palsy and hearing hearing loss, and she interviewed universities because she had done so well, and she's now currently doing a double science degree. But she interviewed universities to see who could provide her with the best disability provisions. And I remember thinking at the time how empowered she was and how the ownership that she took for her own learning and, and just wishing that we could um, have all of our students have that same level of, um, I need this to achieve and I will achieve, but only with these provisions. And um, you know the, the, how powerful she was in, in, in that conversation. And it sounds like the conversations that you're having with these students is almost enable, helping them to, to see and take some, some power and some ownership over their own futures as well. Oh, too right. Uh, um, because asking somebody what, what you should do with, with the rest of your life doesn't really work. I understand the, you know, the motivation to ask that question, but uh, really it puts the other person at, um, you know, in, in a very difficult situation. Um, and, and the person that you mentioned who had the wherewithal to, to actually interview the universities from her point of view is, is demonstrating, I, I think, a real strength, um, uh, real, real insight and an ability to, to take a certain measure of control over her choices, not that the choices become perfect or, or, or easy, and this is where I think it gets down to the crux of it, because you know, it, it has been said that if, as a careers counsellor, your work is about equipping the client with better understanding of, of themselves so that they can make better narratives to an employer to demonstrate alignment with their objectives, then that puts the onus on, on the student or on the job seeker to get the work. And if they don't get the work, it's because they're doing something wrong. You know, this would, that yep. would be a kind of a neoliberal idea. Um, but I think that misunderstands the, the, the point. The point is that, that any job seeker should be able to communicate uh, their sense of themselves as in this case, as emerging professionals and how the way in which they use their skills and the reason, the motivation they have for, for doing this work at all could contribute to this particular employer's team um, and could help support their clients. The careers counselling is about enabling students by focusing on the inherent requirements of the, of the job yeah. and not powerful, you know, disabling distra distractions like, you know, I, I, I live with, with this, this disability. I tend not to use the word disability. Where students bring it up, we end up talking about individual work style, which I, which I think is a very helpful way of, of speaking about issues that matter because it needs to come back to the inherent requirements of the role. That's what the student needs to be preparing for. And I think that was what was the strength of this particular student was that she knew that with these accommodations, she could do the double degree. And so it was that, you know, that recognition of I have a disability and if you put these accommodations in place, then I, I can then learn on the same basis as my peers. Mm. And it's that, that strength of, and I guess that's what you're doing is helping those students to recognise that with these supports, I can do the work on the same basis as my peers. Or if yeah. not better. Yeah, yes, indeed. And um, you know, to, to turn that around for a moment, you know, the conversations I've had with 
uh, with people in, the, in accessibility services. At Swinburne, you know, we don't even call it disability services. The people that, uh, uh, that support students in that area belong to accessibility services. And so when they have uh, discussions with, with people at Open Day, instead of giving them a list of, of things, you know, this is what we do, they, they instead have discussions about the, uh, about the way in which people engage and what has your experience been to this point and, and, and what, what can we do that would work for you. And, and that's, you know, that's increasingly common uh, as, as a way of engaging with students. And that sounds fantastic. And, and that's the attitude that we need to adopt in, in careers consultations as well. Couldn't agree more. And I wonder, are there other programs that support your work in student engagement with meaningful work at a national level or? Yes, yeah, so the, um, there's, uh, there's two uh, big initiatives that, that I think could be much better known. And uh, the one uh, collaboration that we started at Swinburne was with WISE Employment, the Disability Employment Services Provider, uh, and they've created the GradWISE program to help give our students access to uh, disability confident networks uh, so that students can use work as a source of learning about work through part-time casual work and through coveted graduate roles as well. And there's uh, another initiative called uh, USEP, which is the Uni Specialist Employment Partnership, and that's run by the National Disability Coordination Officer Network. Um, and they similarly bring a disability employment services provider on campus to work with students to, to do the same kinds of things. And so those are two tremendous initiatives that that help uh, a great deal of students get experience so that they can demonstrate their ability and help decide what they would like to learn next. Sure, and we will put links to them in our show notes so that people Terrific. can access that as well. Is there a final piece of advice for students who are studying at university with a disability that you can give them? That's a big question. And I think that the, I think the, the most important thing that students with disability can do is to not shy away from engagement with, with the world of work. Um, we talk a lot about unconscious bias, but it's possible for, for us as people living with disability to exhibit unconscious bias as well. And yes, it's true that there's a lot of progress that needs to be made in the world of work, but there's also a lot of progress that has already been made. And uh, industry is organized about being more inclusive. It wants to be more inclusive. Uh, it doesn't necessarily always know how, and, and yet they're willing to learn from, from students in particular. So at, you know, at, at Swinburne, we have employers come for the last two years to take part in panel discussions with students about how, as organisations, they could make their recruitment processes more inclusive. And I think there's a wonderful demonstration of openness uh, and of interest and commitment to becoming more inclusive and acknowledging that they could be doing things better. And you know, there are career services in other states that are, that are doing similar things as well. Um, industry is organised into the Australian Network on Disability, a member organisation with over 260 uh, you know, large organisations as its members, and they pay to 
uh, to get training, uh, to belong to this network so that they can support each other to become better at disability recruitment. So as job seekers with disability, we mustn't assume that there aren't any places that would be welcoming us. Uh, you know, the, the public service has its own sets of guidelines and, and programs. There, there are increasing numbers of places that, that want to welcome us. So I think we, you know, as job seekers, we need to pay more attention to our professional identity, if I could put it like that. You know, are we able to, to approach an employer on the basis of the contribution that we'd like to make and have a professional discussion about that work? And that might be in a job interview, but it might also be in an information interview that, you know, that like your student last year, organised with universities. But we can do this with employers to talk about the work, not to ask for a job straight away. Sure but to learn more uh, about the work that we would like to do. And I think if we could adopt that position of you know, curious inquiry, uh, of demonstrating interest in work, then what we'll do is shift the conversation for ourselves so that we'll start from a position that analyzes our inherent ability to fulfill the inherent requirements of a job instead of adopting a tentative position saying you'll let me in won't you even though i have this disability so we move from from this need to either hide something from the employer or this need to confess something to the employer so we can get their approbation and we leave that behind and instead focus on the inherent requirements of the job and then any conversation about uh, about disability becomes one of adapting to our work style because you know there's industry makes adaptions uh, and adjustments for its staff all the time mm -hmm. and for those staff that don't have disability it makes adjustments all the time and doing it for student for for candidates with disability is natural for them and we can help them discover how this can be natural for them if we focus on the inherent requirements of the role. Absolutely. I, this, this, I, I really hope that people who, with disability in university, considering going to university and considering joining the workforce, have a chance to listen to this. It's been so interesting. Thank you so much for bringing your perspective and that positivity and that way of thinking differently about work for our students and, and clients. So thank you, David, so much for this conversation. I've really enjoyed it today. Well, look, you're very welcome. Thanks again for having me. And you know, this is a work in progress. And so you know, st students at university can, can make great use of their career service um, by having conversations like this. And best of luck to everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And we will see you next week. <laughs>